Junkie XL's uh, stuff, you know, like the 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 praying, the not the praying, the like the monk, the mask. There, there is some stuff that's not so great. But Every time Wonder Woman did anything, it was just yeah. too much. It was too much. Um, but um, I still find it fits better than Danny Elfman's. Yeah. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, just a little bit of Justice League chit chat. Um, I think we're all. Uh, we're still reeling from that. I don't think anything else came out last couple days, right? Nothing, nothing important, right? Other than uh, Falcon, Winter Soldier, and Invisible oh yeah, that, that tiny indie indie TV show episode. Yeah, that, it, it, it wasn't was, it wasn't that it wasn't that powerful. It wasn't that awesome. I mean, I don't think I don't think a lot of people watched it. So. Yeah, yeah, people didn't talk about it that much. You know, I, I was expecting a little more, but you know what? Everyone was sort of focusing on um, uh, cut. Yeah, the Snyder Cut. <laughs> I think that it was. Uh, I have one tiny gripe with it, but like the rest of the episode made up for it, especially the ending with like the scene in the Smithsonian. Um, not even the cookout, which was also awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, like and of course Bucky hitting on Sam's sister is is adorably hilarious. Did that uh, happen again in the last episode? I thought that was just. In no, the, but you see the them, movie. I think, talk, and then, like, yeah. casually, like, you know, I think, like, if they, I don't think they would ever expand on that, but it's sort of nice to think about. It's nice to muse about for a lot of people. I, I just, like, no, I, it's the, it's the, that relationship between Sam and Bucky. That's, it's the highlight of them just sort of poking and prodding at each other. That's adorable. Yeah, but you also, it's funny because you see that they have grown into being, like, you know, the climax, you know, like, the end of episode five. Uh, which we talked a little bit about, but I've always I've thought about it a lot more. Episode five is probably my favorite one of the entire season. Um, you know, because like, yeah, you see him or Sam and Bucky have become very close friends, but they still just say they just they're just two guys who had a mutual friend, right? But but by the end of episode six, you are seeing that they are now comfortable in that closeness, which is something we don't get enough of between two male characters. Yeah, but it's also um, I think that close closeness is also comes from the fact that they are um, they're also grieving the same friend, the the loss of the same friend. I think that's a big part. Even though technically he's still alive, but uh, I, I don't know. Have they? I mean, that's the thing. They've kind of phrased it in such a way as they could go in either direction, depending on you know if they want to bring uh, Chris Evans back as like um, Commander Rogers. Yeah, then, like and he could be alive, but they don't really. They kind of phrase it in such a way that he could also be dead. You're not 100% sure. I think there's two things. Like, I think they've sort of grown past. They have their own relationship now. Like, Steve never had yeah. to come home from the war, right? We, I think we talked about that a fair bit over the last, over the first couple of times we talked about it. Um, but also, you could think about, it like, Commander Rogers doesn't have any connection in the same way to Bucky and Sam because for Commander Rogers... That was what sixty years in his past. Yeah, right. Yeah. He kept that. He probably kept that in his mind. But for him, he was focusing on getting some of that life Tony talked about. I and I, you know what? I really would. It's weird that I I want to see at least a moment where um, Cap has to struggle with staying away from all of that. It would be nice to just see that moment where Cap is just sort of like watching the news and just sort of pulling away from it, just being like, you know. Like he uh, knows about like, everything from, he knows that it was Bucky who shot JFK. 
and killed uh friggin killed uh tony's parents okay i don't care about that and he's still and he's still hanging back if you think know. about it uh so it's leonard industrial hmm. warmonger and his socialite wife dying uh i i, I have a hard time feeling broken up about it <laughs> Uh, you know what? I do have weird feelings about the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier, though. Um, it was n it was a bit. It again, listeners, you're listening to three pale skins talk about uh, race I'm, and the black experience in the black, yes, in America. Because Kai so, is not exactly a pale skin. Okay, but I mean, I'm a pale ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just felt um, after watching the video of a U.S. soldier being maced by police at a gas station. It really felt uncomfortable. I don't know. I don't know if I can. I don't know if it's okay for me to say that. I don't know if it's okay for me to feel that, no. considering there are people who are living this experience. But it just felt weird. Uh, Sam's thing about picking up the shield. He was just like, I'm a black man in stars and stripes. I know there are people hating me and people looking at me like, uh, like I'm some sort of freak. That that speech, it just there was something mm, just off about it for me so, that well, I couldn't quite get into. Um, I was going to say, and and Sam and I have have talked about this. Um, the the positioning of the speech, the timing of the speech, um, taking place in that scene seemed a bit off to me it felt like and, and and sam brought up a good point like if he had given that speech in front of the grc uh just before the vote so like if there had been a separate scene i after think um at, pardon after the fact yeah after the fact i think that would have um it it i i think the episode might have might have worked a little better it was almost seemed to me like you know, they had too much to get in to, to separate the scenes. And so they were kind of like, let's have him give this speech in this situation. It was still a very powerful speech, mm -hmm. but I think mm -hmm. actually have, have brought it, have, have seen this issue brought to the vote, have, um, have cap make the speech, then have the vote, um, fail, have them decide not to go through with the relocation because all we got about the results of the vote was, I think, I don't know if it was Isaiah Bradley or somebody at the end who just said, you know, they're not going through with, with that, with that forced relocation. And they could have actually put in a scene where you see him in front of everybody and then you see the vote actually, you see them actually decide not to go through with it. I think it also could have, like that scene where he had rescued them and whatever, and like was in on the street in New York, he, you could have, there could have been an ex, a, like sort of a, a more extended, like pretty much the only celebration, like celebration of Captain America we got was that part where he and uh, his Red Wing drones like push the truck back on, right? And where like the older guy, and like there is something, there's a there's something there that I that I could be dissected further. Um, I haven't thought about that moment so much, but I've thought about it enough to be like, oh, the old guy calls him that's the Black Falcon, then the younger guy says, no, that's Captain America. And you could like get, dig into like how the older guy's never seen a world where a black guy could be Captain America and the younger guy is yeah. seeing that now. Um, but I feel like you, that moment on the street could have been an extension of that. And I was actually expecting, and no, so many people have said this, and I and it's good, nice to know I wasn't sort of alone in my thinking. But you could have had Bucky say, "Let's hear for Captain America," just like in the first Avenger, right? Yeah, and sort of extended that celebratory moment. And Sam could really. I could. I want to say f just focus on 
like that he can now be celebrated and feel good about it. And then you could counter that with this, you did another scene at the GRC vote. Like why was episode five longer than episode six? Right. In WandaVision, like episodes only got longer and longer. And like the, the last one was like the longest out of all nine, out of all eight. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I didn't I didn't even realize it. Um, so the last episode was was it considerably shorter or seven or eight minutes shorter than the than so then they would have actually had time to put in that an extra scene with the GRC. Yeah, for all I for all we it was one of those things, it's probably like got cut on like those they how probably made like the, all three scenes we talk about and they only put in the one in the middle because they wanted to like have it under time. Uh, for editing or other things got cut. All I would think was that uh, it would have like given Sam more of a moment and also could have also, it could have reflected that Captain America can be both. He can be like the superhero, like like Iron Man would be, but then he could be like the guy in the room, which is what we saw a lot of with Steve in like the first Avenger and with the Winter Soldier, right? He wasn't just a superhero. He was also like working with Shield Strike Force and Rumlo and whoever whoever the heck else. You know what, I guess in the broader scope of things, having this unsettled feeling, having this, um, you know, being very open with how complicated the issue is, or the quote unquote, the history of the shield, I guess that might have been their point that um, American identity and race is just an ugly bag of, I don't know. um, It's a mixed bag. I, yeah, it's just really messed up. Yeah. It's, and like, it's not it, something that can easily be black and white. There's, I guess there's grays in it that I yeah. would not understand. And like, they talk about like how, you know, no one, a hero can't be above reproach anymore. They talked about that in episode uh, three or four, shortly before, no, yeah. episode three. Yeah, it might've been the beginning of episode four or the end of episode three, right before, when the guy who was killed by John Walker was like saying, I used to love Captain America. Like that scene when they were in the cemetery and they were retrieving the super soldier serum. Like yeah. it's, it shows that a hero like Captain America has to be above reproach, but that doesn't mean there aren't shades of gray. Like Sam, Sam Wilson cap isn't going to murder people. He's also not, but he's also not going to stray away from certain topics that you could, you could argue that Steve didn't necessarily stay away from them or stray away from certain topics that were a little more divisive, but, and he sort of let his actions speak for themselves. And, but because he was a, a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes, a lot of that could be ignored. A lot of that could be looked aside, right? And he could be held yeah. up as like, the typical Boy Scout, right? Cat, like Sam Wilson, like they both saw open combat. They will probably kill people in the field of battle. I don't think any of that is really up for debate. But like, uh, like it just gets to that wider discussion about race that they're doing in the show. Like Sam can... You could, you should be able to hold up both guys who are probably the, in the same spot on the morality spectrum, but Sam's position as a black man in America has made it more not tenuous, but like he has to be willing, he has to go even further to the side of good to be seen as good as Steve Rogers was. Well, that's what I liked about the episode five um, training thing. Uh, the the training montage, and yeah. I think and we talked about that a bit last time, but it just shows how much harder Sam had to work yeah. to to really truly yeah. wield that shield. And I thought that was a really nicely done metaphor. Yeah, it's that old adage, right? Like uh, women, black men uh, in America, but also around the world, you know, you got to work twice as hard to get half as far, right? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter if it's whoever's talking about it. 
And it was, but there there were good things about the episode. There no, were really no. great things about the episode. I don't want to completely dump on it. Um, one of my favorite parts was uh, when the first time we see Sam talking to Isaiah Bradley uh, in day, uh, during the daytime. And not just that, but it's daytime and he's surrounded by plants. He's surrounded by life. There's an actual, mm. the, you know, the sun is out. There's, there's a positivity in, even in the lighting and the colors being used in that scene. And I thought it was a nice touch that he picked up that like 100 pound or that 100 pound looking plant uh, barrel and he just lifts it up casually mm -hmm. and moves it aside because you clearly see he is still a super soldier. I think like I there, that, really that, nice that's a nice little hint. And I think just like getting to the physicality because Carl Lumbly's not a small guy. Like no. I, I've loved him since he voiced Martian Manhunter in the Justice League show, and ju um, and Justice League Unlimited, right? No, no, that was him. Yeah, and he actually played John's father in Supergirl, oh. uh, like himself. Uh, but he looks like he put on like probably like thirty pounds of muscle for the role. Uh, but like I, th I think he gets to his physicality, but also like <laughs> it made me think like, does that mean Commander Rogers is still a beast, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we saw Steve. He yeah. got he got uh, frail well, somehow. Yeah. Does that mean then that Carl that like Isaiah has been? I just called him Carl Lumley again. Does that mean Isaiah Bradley's been like he's still working out? I don't deny. I don't doubt it. But like, yeah. And now and like that scene sort of yeah. we got a little bit more of Eli. Um, and like, but it's funny because like in the comics, Eli's always been portrayed as very serious, very stoic. Yeah. And that scene, I was sort of like, okay, he's going to be very accurate to the comics. He's going to be this stoic, young black man, which is understandable. How would you not be like that? Uh, especially growing up in a city like Maryland or a city like Baltimore um, in Maryland. Uh, and sort of getting a little more of that playful side, which you see so rarely in comics, at least as far as I can recall, mm -hmm. um, is really cool. And I think it's sort of, it makes me want to see more of him. Not just the character, but also that actor playing Eli. Uh I think, but like the scene on the outside, sorry, digression. <laughs> the scene on the outside was cool as well. He wasn't, you're not constrained. It's not dark. It's not musty. There isn't a white guy having to sort of be there and maintain and like introduce one or the other. It's just two black men talking and able to be themselves and be honest and it not sort of, you know, feel some type of way about the other. And then it's just like, oh, I got a place to go. Clean up, clean yourself off. And then they go into the Smithsonian, and it was perfect. It was, that was the best scene of the of the episode, in my opinion. Okay, I will. I won't. I, I can't deny that that scene made me like pretty much cry. That was such a beautiful moment yeah. to see him and his grandson read that. And I'm, I'm still I'm getting choked up right now thinking about it. It was it was a very beautifully done scene. Yeah. I will say one thing I did enjoy a bit more about this show. Uh, because it was again the the political mystery thriller. I liked how because it wasn't the it wasn't dealing with wizards, aliens, or uh, robots. Robots. Uh, because it was androids. Yes, wizards. There's no wizards, robots, or androids. We didn't get have to or. It didn't do what Wandavision did to us and make us speculate on a cosmic scale. I. Felt like there was, I didn't need to think about, oh, what does this mean? What does that mean? Is, is that a little Easter egg? Like, I was really able to focus in on the characters' journeys yeah. and their yeah. development, which and was a like, nice change of pace. Only yeah. because we talked about it so much last time we played Star Wars on Tuesday, we should talk about it now on the podcast. 
surprising no one, Sharon Carter is the power broker. <laughs> yeah, you were right. You were right, Sam. Uh, good call on that one. Can't deny well, no, that. I don't think I don't think it was a call. I don't think I think it wasn't even something I was looking for. I think it would have been cool to bring in some new villain blood, but it's also cool to sort of enhance the character. Cause like Sharon Carter in the comics has never like, she's been good, but she's always felt like just sort of like a bargain bin mockingbird for me. Uh, and she and murdered this, Captain America. But yeah, like me, but like now what well, Steve is, Steve isn't around anyway. And like what they're going to have a, they're going to have, uh, Anthony Mackie gets shot. I don't. Th I don't think so. No, no, they would never. See, but I, that I, would be actually, too politically charged. Yeah. I think it it would actually kind of be a disservice because I mean, now kind of you can speculate that maybe it's not really Sharon Carter and that it's a scroll. But I think that would actually kind of be a disservice to the character. Like I think you, I think it's more interesting to explore what kind of being being forced into this role kind of as an outcast for so many years kind yeah. of into her and 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 her view of the world turning her into a scrawl and it's just going to undercut all of that yeah like i don't really know where they're going to agree with you matt the whole secret invasion thing is going to be cool because it's going to be like we don't have we have this idea there's this idea that people are hidden you don't know who's an enemy blah 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 i don't love secret invasion but as a concept i really like it so sorry i gotta say i worry that the secret invasion thing is going to be a tool to retcon development of characters that we do enjoy. Oh, so, it wasn't actually Pietro, it was a scroll. Oh, it wasn't actually so-and-so, it was a scroll. And no, tough no. decisions that characters have made get to be swept under the rug if suddenly they're scrolls. I think that's possible. Only I think that's possible. I wouldn't I did I would I would disagree with you only if Captain Marvel hadn't taken place in the 90s. Since it took place in the 90s, you could essentially like wash through every Marvel movie that's come out. Mm. Say that. But the only reason I don't think so, this is another thing we talked about on Tuesday, um, was that they're going to need something. But I think Secret Invasion is going to occupy that space of being the the sort of the confluent event. You get in the movies, they're going to focus on very, I think, like the movies are going to be very isolated from each other. Like, I don't think. Except for the fact that I don't want Taskmaster to die, I don't think Black Widow is going to have a lot of ramifications for the rest of the world. If it did, they would have made it earlier. Oh, um, yeah. uh, same with Thor: Love and Thunder. Same with maybe Doctor Strange: and The Multiverse of Madness will introduce that next great threat. Um, uh, fingers same crossed, with Thanos. Uh, no, sorry, fingers crossed, Galactus. Yeah, same with Doctor. Same with Spider-Man: No Way Home. Um, but I think like Secret Invasion is going to be that that thing in the middle. That's going to be able to arc over it, and I think we got a little bit of that like hidden enemy thing in in Winter Soldier. If you watched Agents of Shield, you got some of it, but it could have been better because very much they spent like one episode on oh Hydra's here, and then the rest of the the show or that sort of arc of over a couple of seasons was Hydra and Shield fighting um, very openly. So I think Secret Invasion is going to occupy that space, but then this whole power broker you know arms dealing thing is going to lead I think directly into Armor Wars. And I think that like. Is gonna sort of it's leading gonna lead into Armor Wars. I think Sharon's gonna be in it. I think U.S. Agent's gonna be in it. Um, I think I still think Elena Belova, Black Widow, is gonna be in it. I love love Florence Pugh, um, and I think she'd be great, like in that. And I don't think it's gonna be just like Rhodey becoming Iron Man. I think it's gonna be sort of a a deeper thing, a deeper explanation of like 
the role of like, you know, uh, warmongering and war profiteering and all ironmongering and war profiteering. Think questions that they could have explored deeper in Iron Man movies, but it ended up being very personal. Like the Iron Man movies really are about Tony. They're mm -hmm. not really about the world around him, right? And, you know, I well, sort of, I had to get over Terrence Howard being recast, but ultimately I prefer Don Cheadle. Um, but, uh, my, my, my point being is just that, like, I think the whole power, like making this, this Sharon, the power broker Sharon, a scroll would Matt is right. I think that armor wars could be a successful way to bring in aim and look at the Pandora's box that Tony opened with, uh, with this technology, as well as a great way to introduce Ironheart, well, which like, they've already cast. They cast Riri Williams. They cast hmm? Riri Williams. I believe they did. What? Look it up. Look it up, just in case. Uh, but I'm pretty sure they've they've casted her. Okay, so like maybe because I think I think Riri, they do the thing with if they. Here's the thing: if they essentially, if history is dead and they only ever expand from here, like they never go backwards. They never recast Iron Man because they never go backwards, right? They will. Uh, whoever like the this this actor playing Eli Bradley will be Captain America in twenty years, right? Like if that's if that's the world they're setting up, fine. Um, I think that like going off of what you just asked or said, Kaim, uh, what did you just say? <laughs> I just forgot it. I said it would be a great way to set up aim. It would yeah. be a great way to set up. Uh, the thing is, the Marvel is very yeah. good at thinking long term, so they like yeah. to plant the the seeds way early and then. Um, draw, like set well, like, things up for later, war, on, for later on. What is the war? Is is Rhodey fighting to get the armor back because because he works for the U.S. government? They're trying to take all of Tony's stuff because Stark Industries may have been left to Pepper and Happy to be take or Pepper and Happy to take care of, and will probably pass to um, Morgan when she's old enough. But what happened to his armor? That and he it was probably left to Rhodey. And I think we're around, we're going to see Robert Downey Jr. play mm -hmm. um, AI Tony Stark for a lot and i think i can i could see a universe where roadie finds a file on a girl who's been developing her own armor independently and basically he and her go to uh the stark house on the lake and then they meet ai and tony and ai tony becomes riri's ai like in the comic books when Tony yeah. is like faux coma or whatever it was um back when they introduced when uh, she yeah. was here when Riri Williams was the Invincible Iron Man, which is still better than which is better than Ironheart. Ironheart got better and is better now, but it's but that Invincible Ironheart run was still awesome. The original run, um, look at me being a hipster, but comic books, Marvel comics, nonetheless. Uh, and then you could also essentially like continue that, and then Morgan becomes uh, Rescue, and then Morgan becomes Iron Man, and then as Riri Williams becomes Ironheart, and you can just sort of keep going from there. But like, well, see, I wonder. Uh, to say, I I wonder, you know, about the extent to which these Disney Plus shows are going to influence, like, the movie side of the MCU. Because as I was saying to you, kind of on Tuesday, essentially, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier leaves everybody kind of in a similar place to where. I mean, if you've watched their progression throughout the series, they're clearly not in the same place they were in Endgame. But on a superficial level, I mean you end up with Falcon as Captain America, which is essentially what you're supposed to think was going to happen kind of right yeah. after Endgame finish. Yep. I do think um, they... And, and so, you know, uh, on that kind of 
larger super, superficial level, you don't necessarily have had to have watched Falcon and Winter Soldier, you know, after Endgame to to really yeah. be able to understand where the story is 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 picking up. Mm-hmm. On the other side, WandaVision, you know, um, with the with the creation of White Vision and you know her her kids kind of maybe being an impetus for her exploration of the of a multiverse maybe might be a little more uh, you know a little more necessary in terms of viewing but yeah i just wonder what 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 the larger plan is in terms of incorporating these and and the movies yeah it's it's you bring up a good point because uh you know u.s agent wyatt russell uh val um as julie Julie dreyfus um wrong i still want to call her even the fact that while all the super soldiers are dead that the flag smashes are still out there right so the soldier says one world one people even right before those, you oh, know, I love that, and I really love the flag smashers. Like, I could see, like, I could see, like, the villain of the Disney Plus verse, the Disney Plus section of the MCU being John Walker being asked by Val and the U.S. government to found the Thunderbolts. And so now, Kai, I'm fully behind you on the Thunderbolts thing. And I think because U.S. Agent is a classic, was a, led them for a very long time in the comics. Um, I've never read a Thunderbolt comic, but I did a bit of research on this. And yeah, I just think it's sort of be like there. Really and I also think that Bucky could be an Avenger because he could essentially like replace Black Widow as like the espionage martial arts kind of person. Someone mm-hmm. who is great in a fight, who's like a great spy and all these like espionage subterfuge things um, and is great sort of on the ground. And then you got Cap, Sam Wilson, and then you got Jane yep. Foster Thor and you could have Jane Foster Thor and Cap Sam Wilson, like in the comics, shack up in the movies. Why not? Why, Why not? not? Right? And then you could have, and then of course you have Scarlet Witch in there uh, as another member of the Avengers. And then you have, um, who else would be in the Avengers? Maybe like Professor Hulk after he gets better. Yeah, I, I don't know. But the thing is, I think they, they need to give the Avengers yeah. a break, though. Yeah. I think they need to give the Avengers yeah. a break. They need to give some like breathing. Line up in two years when they move the next movie. Yeah, and they need to give it some breathing room uh, to develop some new properties, which they're now coming getting back. So I think that's going to be uh, an interesting uh, way to develop it. I'm I'm looking forward to it because it's the series really um, made me feel some different ways this time kinda around. Like, kind of like how the you know what it is if you talk about like depth and breadth, right? What WandaVision did, it was like it really broadened our idea of the Mar- of the of Marvel movies. What they could talk about, you know, they could do a mm-hmm. deep exploration of one woman's trauma and all these things. But what it also did was it expanded. It made the possibility that okay, mutates officially exist, right? That's what they're doing with they did with Monica Rambeau. Um, there's yeah. magic. There's all these. There's darker forces at work. Blah blah blah. Uh, we won't talk about WandaVision anymore right now. Um, but with at with this with um with falcon and soldier there is some depth there's a lot of depth to it not just the the depth of the show of what the themes are in the show is exploring and the thing the, the the social things that they're talking about but you know they're going into that they're establishing the mcu's history not just mm-hmm. out of the first avenger captain america the first avenger they're going into like things that happen between that and um the events of captain marvel right that, that like 50 to 60 year time span uh and I think that like giving in that depth means that I think a lot of these Disney Plus shows are going to be giving that depth. Loki is going to be a fun, wild romp. We doesn't mean we won't see like Cap 
he's gonna, he doesn't mean where they're going to pass each other in the time stream and Cap's going to be like, what the fuck? But then he, re- but he can't go on a detour. And it's just going to be like a five, like 15 seconds of us seeing Chris Evans who like hopped over million dollars to do one scene. And then that's it. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I think that it's, I think that the Disney plus stuff is going to bring a lot of depth, but I think Matt is right as well. I think ultimately maybe with the exception of WandaVision, you won't have to watch a lot of the Disney plus shows to like still enjoy the movies and not be lost. Um, I'll say one thing. Um, when 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 uh, Cap Sam Wilson made that speech in the final episode, the way he also tied in the themes, you know, the show to explore it, and he also brought up like Thanos, like you, you know, you never imagined there could be somebody as powerful as like this, this alien who can who can snap people out of existence, and that made you feel powerless. And the way that like. I, I didn't think it would really be possible to bring in these really, you know, outlandish, otherworldly concepts about, you know, giant uh, aliens who can mm-hmm. snap their fingers and these infinity stones and everything and tie it into the themes that are being explored and make it sound natural. But it sounded yeah. just, it, you know, it, it just worked so well. And, and so I was really impressed about that because they're really, I think Marvel is doing a really good job blending these very real topical, mm-hmm. real social issues into this world where there's also, you know, what we said, uh, mm-hmm. androids, uh, aliens, and wizards. Wizards. Yeah. Um, so I, I just noticed that when he, uh, during the speech and I was like, wow, you know, that they're doing a really good job integrating these, these elements. Anyone who says a sorcerer is just a wizard without a hat hasn't played enough d and I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they also realized how much uh more really they could do with bucky i mean i actually think you could have you could have had two separate shows it didn't need to be falcon and winter soldier you could have had one show just about falcon and one show just about the winter soldier because mm-hmm. really at the end when he goes back to talk to that man whose son he killed um it kind of i just i just realized like wow they could have actually explored the list a little bit more like you know his crossing these names off off the yeah. list trying to make amends mm-hmm. i mean again you only had six episodes each one is only about like 50 minutes and i think they did a very good job with the time that they had but there's a lot more that can be can be said kind of about this this road um this, this kind of road to redemption that he's he's on i think thinking mm-hmm. about that thinking about that now i could see like i could see like bucky maybe he wouldn't be in I could see him in Armor Wars or in another show or another season of this. Like, I think they make another season of it, but they call it Captain America and the Winter Soldier, colon, the Thunderbolts, or then the next movie is, or they make a TV show about the Thunderbolts and they make a, the movie is Captain America and the Thunderbolts or whatever. Um, but I could see like a, another couple of scenes or even just one scene where you, where Bucky is saying, like is apologizing to someone and telling the truth. And right. In that way, he's like, a lot of people figure out and that he is the winter soldier and that he is this person who was pardoned. And uh, yeah, I think that they could have done all, they could have explored that more, but I also think that it's called the Falcon and the winter soldier, yeah. not the winter soldier and the Falcon, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that top billing doesn't matter. The show ultimately it's about Bucky being like getting over the winter soldier, but it's about, and decide making the winter soldier no longer a bad thing. Cause he is, it's not called captain America and the white wolf at the very end. Right. It's called, He's still the Winter Soldier. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I think like it's ultimately Bucky, or not Bucky. It's Sam becoming Cap. And yeah, Winter no question. But yeah. it just—I I think there's a lot more they can also do with. Uh, yeah, I think so. Bucky. Maybe they may, I could see them making like a like a four-part miniseries, or make four like twenty-minute episodes or six twenty-minute episodes or whatever it would be, and you make like would, a, you make like yeah. a Winter Soldier. 
I don't know. You make a, you make something, or you have him in. I could see him being in Black Panther two now. In all honesty, as like okay. the, the Everett Ross kind of character, but you also okay. Everett Ross. I I will say one thing. I'm not. I I do not. I don't know if it's a good idea to see all that uh, apologizing from from Bucky. Not all. Uh, no, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. I think it's a great way if he's killed people in military families and he's killed all these other people and, and, and stuff like that. Like I'm sure there's going to be somebody who he's or a family member of somebody who's killed, who is going to be uh, or could be part of a bigger story. And that apologizing as a catalyst for somebody stepping up into the superhero world. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's one of the things they can do with the, the behind the scenes apologizing or off camera apologizing. But I, I don't know if it's, it's, um, I could well, see a universe PTSD almost, thing. I could see a universe in which, or a, 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 a series of events in which like he was at to, to your point kind where he's asked to like kill this person, whatever. And it's like, his grandson from like an affair he had after his super after the experiments that were done on him that allowed him to survive the fall from the train and like that's how you introduce like bucky's kids because unlike steve they do get into the comics a little in the comics they get into like bucky's descendants didn't know that um yeah like the winter soldier for a little bit was his granddaughter it came out in the 80s or the 90s but like now you could just make it his great granddaughter that's why i thought that they would make Carly, his descendant. I thought for sure. I thought it would be it would be poetry, and her dying at the end sort of was sucked for me because I Marvel keeps killing their villains, um, except Barry Zemo, who still seems to be alive. Somehow. Yeah, Barry Zemo. I think like we've got two members. Not of killed him off. We got U.S. Agent, and we got um, uh, uh, Baron Zemo, and maybe I, maybe we got maybe we have Red Hulk as well. I, I, I still insist on Red Hulk, although Kai doesn't like that. Not at all. Um, I will say one th one thing about um, about Walker, about U.S. Agent. Um, Marvel is really, really good at making hateable characters. Yeah, um, he's like Joffrey, they, the Joffrey of the MCU. He is the Joffrey. That is a perfect analogy. He is the Joffrey of the MCU because, yeah. on the one hand. No one's he talking is, about his cheeks like Thanos. Everyone hates him. Yeah, and so that, that's the thing. He is, he is the villain, but they they he does the right thing at the end, which is great. And he is this weird gray area, moral, yeah. uh, morally ambiguous character who just wants to do his best, and which is why he's like it's it's not like you can see the character is genuinely happy to have a, a new suit. At the end, he's yeah. like, "U.S. agent," and he's he's hugging his wife. He's genuinely happy because he feels like he's gonna have a chance to help. Yeah. and I like that. However, I really felt that he was the personification of white privilege, uh, police officers in the United wow. States. Okay, in that he was this guy who literally murdered somebody in public, got chastised for it, but still end up ended up getting his job back, and. That was kind of like mother effort. He killed a dude and he's not in jail. What the hell? And yeah. of course, Hydra had something to do with it, which is great because, yeah, of course, a neo-Nazi, uh, you know, systemic racist organization is going to help a murderous cop get his job back. Wait, which is Hydra, Hydra, Hydra helped. You know, there, was Val, 
we don't know. I think sometimes in the comics, Ralph has been Hydra, but I don't know if she's okay. actually for this. Uh, I I've that. heard she's Madam Hydra. So I don't. Yeah. Okay, but I don't know if they're gonna go back go with the Hydra angle unless they like do what they did in <laughs> Agents of Shield, where like someone says you're working with Nazis, and then like the black guy who works for Hydra is like they're not Nazis, and they do like the whole like black Republican Ooh. justification of. Yeah, I don't think. I don't. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think they're gonna have her associated with Hydra. I feel like she's yeah. just like a Nick Fury character, kind of getting everybody together for this secret invasion. Yeah, I think I think she is. I think it's very much like her. She, she's working with like Everett Ross and but like I feel like there was also other things they could they could have explored in the show overall. Like there was like her like uh, when um, uh, uh, when John Walker was going to went and met up with Lamar's family to say goodbye. That was a touching happened. moment, with no. the exception that he lied. No, he lied, yes, but it wasn't touching because if you watch, I watched that, I watched, I've gone back and I've, I've watched every episode three times. I've re I've, re -watched every, uh, I've watched every episode three times, rewatched it twice. I've watched that scene again a couple times more because it's easy for Lamar's mom to believe what he's saying. Mm -hmm. it's, like difficult, but ultimately his Lamar's dad believes it. His sister, though, doesn't look like she's buying. She's sad for sure, but she doesn't look like she's buying any of what John is saying. And mm -hmm. they could have explored that more. They could have explored the fact that he is a he's a white character who's like supposed to, who's embodying like you know like cop energy, like white privilege, all these things. But they don't get into the fact that he's got. Uh, maybe it's just supposed to be a metaphor we're supposed to see. Maybe there's something I'm not seeing because I'm a white dude. Um, but like the fact that he's a black wife and that there's all these, it's like HBCU imagery. She's black he, or she Hispanic? I think she was black. She was black. Uh, yeah. Like, and all the HBCU energy of the, uh, uh, of that scene where he's introduced, where he like marches it onto the high school football field or the college football field. Yeah. Um, that was an HBCU band. Like, no doubt about it. Like oh, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't just a marching band. And I don't know. Maybe there's more new there's I think not nuanced things, but like subtle things that they may have just included because like to portray how he has co-opted the identity of a black guy, not just Sam, who should be cap, but Isaiah Bradley to a to a larger extent, who was chronologically the previous Captain America. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, maybe yeah. it's maybe they won't explore it, but maybe it's something they will explore, and that's why they didn't kill John Walker off in the final episode. And I'm uh, kind of glad they have these awkward characters in the Marvel universe because well, DC DC doesn't have any of those. DC has good guys and has bad guys. I can't really think of any characters that are sort of in the middle ground, uh, with the exception of with the exception of um, you know, I mean, in the cinematic universe, with the exception of the Suicide Squad. Um, we're not we can't count the DCEU. There's not enough of it. Yeah, they, well, I gotta say they're all coming. The, there's too many. I think there's too many great characters in the DC. Even EU. even like, in Marvel, even in Marvel, they in Marvel com in in DC Comics heroes, with the exception of when Wonder Woman snapped Maxwell Lord's neck live on TV, which she should have done in the comics in the movie, but she didn't. Agreed. Um, like DC heroes, almost like never kill. Like the main, their main, like alternate versions, alternate universes, whatever, they do kill. But the main DC heroes never kill. Marvel heroes kill all the fucking time. Wolverine's fucking about people left and right. 
<laughs> Wolverine's more of an anti-vigilante at this point, but you see my point, right? Well, like, you think, well, we don't know what Disney's Wolverine is going to look like. I think he look. I think like that movie is hard peach. I hope it's not like he's got his closet. Like, and I'm, it's like in Avatar The Last Airbender, right? Like Zuko has his swords out, but he only ever attacks people's weapons with it. He doesn't, you don't see him like fucking up dudes with his wet swords. Like I could see the universe. Like it would be disappointing, but I expect from DC now, I don't expect them to rather DC. I don't expect Marvel to shy away from Wolverine using his like claws, but I do expect a couple of scenes the first time he's introduced. So it's kid friendly. He's got the claws out, but he just ends up like kicking guys and like pushing them and then cutting their weapons up. And then they just run away screaming. Let's, let's cut away from cap now, because I think we've sort of, you can analyze yeah. you like that even more so than WandaVision. You can analyze to ad nauseum because there's so there's layers to the, the imagery and the, the there really is. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I would say it was a very satisfying yeah. program, <laughs> even with its awkward ambiguities at certain points, it was still a very satisfying story. Yeah. Like and, Captain America is black now. That's something to celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> Well, speaking of good adaptations, right? Invincible. Back to Invincible. I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome how they really expanded on Nolan's internal like struggle. You didn't get any of that. Mm. You got some no. of it when he talked about it later on. Show don't tell, all that stuff. You know, it's a core part of good storytelling. Um, but it was really good. Like the like the little baseball scene that was in the comics. It was perfect. It was nope. great. It was, it was phenomenal. I think the animation style changed. Like for episode eight because they're probably because there was so much more violence and so much more action it just certain the art looked a little different but other, i had no complaints when does the showdown between um uh uh invincible and, and omni-man happen in the comics what what issue like is? early volume three i want to say time god i can't even remember i thought it happened a lot earlier than that it was after guardians it was after the guardians of the globe were murdered and that happened sometime in volume two so they don't spend as long as long a time doing like the whole investigation no. of like no 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 no, no. Okay. like Damien Darkblood is barely doesn't do the investigation. He right? fails at his investigation in yeah. the in the books. He's actually more like Rorschach in in the books than uh, than Herm. Uh, Herm. Because like um. I mean I'm definitely like I'm craving more Invincible, so I want to go read the comics. But then at the same time, I'm like. I, no. also, I also want this feeling that I've I, I've had as, as the weeks have gone by and I've been you know excited about the next episode. So I don't necessarily want to know what's going to happen next, which is yeah. you know, what would happen in the comics. Um, there's enough differences, then you know, I could probably still check them out. Yeah, they already introduced plot points from like later volumes, like the Sequids and stuff. Yeah. Um, and like when they when they flashed over Viltrum, how they showed those three Viltrumites that, that Invincible has fought. Yeah. Right. Um, that in the comics he's fought them. Conquer. Oh, cannot wait to see Conquer. He's basically the uh, the Invincible Universe's Broly. Oh, I, I mean, I really do like like honestly, the the, the, the backstory of Omni Man is really like Superman meets like Dragon Ball Z. Viltrumites oh. are Saiyans. Yeah, without yeah. the monkey thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and he's basically like if Goku hadn't hit his head. Uh, yeah. Kirkman definitely took a lot of inspiration from like Superman and like and like for Omni Man's aesthetic, but like and like Invincible's drive and stuff. But I think overall, 
very much like Saiyans. What little I know about Saiyans, it's very much like that seems to be closer to home than Kryptonians yeah. do. Um, I really thought the books were a love letter to all these different things. Like he's really saying thank you so much to them and I'm going to carry on this tradition of telling the story in my way now, which I is... See, I could I could very much see like season two essentially adapting all of those adventures Invincible has when he's, it's just him, when it's he and Cecil working together. And I could see them saving the introduction of... Uh, um omni man omni omni man the boy um kid omni man kid omni man i could see them <laughs> that's it kid omni man i could see them drawing out introducing kid Dom and waiting to introduce kid omni man until like the very end of season two and essentially us not seeing anything of omni man for all of season two right maybe we see conquer he's get robert kirkman's getting i've said this before robert kirkman is getting to rehash the comics in a way people normally don't right yeah, comic gets remade, uh, it'll be different. But he's getting to remake it in a new light, in a new medium, almost twenty years after it can started coming out. But I also think the medium is going to dictate how the story has to be told, and so I think that's well, yeah. also part of it. Like, there's no way you'd want if this was live action. That whole fight between Omni Man uh, and Invincible's got to be a little different. Like, we can't we can't have him holding up Invincible as this train goes into him. And like, and honestly, yeah. I could find I think the violence was a little bit too much. Like, yeah, I, I feel like eventually you kind of become you kind of become a little numb to it. And I think it's kind of that less is more thing where I think some of these scenes might have had been more powerful if they had, you know, if, if there'd been a little more restraint shown, if we hadn't seen so much blood. Not, up. I will say, no, it got gratuitous. I'm with, I'm with Matt. Like the whole scene where like he's being held in the, tr through the train and like, they're both invincible. So they can just obliterate the, tr the people in the train. Like, I and think Invincible whole, literally think, covered head to toe in blood. I think the whole holding of the he was holding that person, that woman's arm, just yeah. Um, but everyone else, but they were all dead, and like I think that was a great scene. I think that like the thing with the avalanche was great, and how he just starts beating him and beating him and beating him, and then yeah. he's like, "Why are you doing this? What do you have? What will you have after five hundred years?" And he's like, "I'll have you, Dad." Yeah. And like you can see basically like him not even remembering that, but Invincible can't remember it because he's just he's been so badly beaten i thought it was a great i thought it was a great episode i thought the fact i thought the fight was a little long no um, i, I love the length of the fight i thought, the fight I thought was that was great. really well done and you said it was it's shorter in the comic yeah it's like shorter. A couple of but no maybe it's not shorter but it's just like it's he is fighting him interspersed with fighting the immortal he doesn't actually kill the immortal again until yeah. like part way through that fight oh, okay um I want to say, though, I disagree with you guys about the blood thing because I think a huge part of Invincible's development throughout the television uh, adaptation is his is superhero grief. And I don't think that's something that's real. That, I think that's something that's very specific to Invincible and his growth as a hero is his dealing with this very overt failure. Like this is in his face failure. Like people are dying and the consequences are slapping him in the face. Uh, sometimes bloodily slapping him in the face. And I think that's why he's doused in blood. It's not just for the effect, but um, I think it's just to show how visceral 
this world of yeah. superheroes and violence is. But I would argue, and I, I, I think that's a good point. My only thing is, I think you could have shown him covered in blood in the aftermath of that train sequence without showing everybody exploding as they hit him. Um, but that's the point. You have you're seeing what Invincible is seeing. You're seeing his the, how he's being traumatized, and I yeah. think that's the journey that the viewer has to be point. a part of. I think it has it shows as well that they're not going to stray away from a lot of the because like this is violent, but this isn't the word the most traumatic thing he goes through by a long shot. No, his right. father betraying him is a far deeper no. emotional scar than he goes through other shit. Like there is oh, yeah. serious sexual violence later on in the comic. They're in right, right. perpetrated uh, in many different ways. I don't want to spoil anything. There is a lot of like psychological fuckery and time travel that really messes with him near the tail end of the comic. That like you think Mark's doing great, he's doing fine, he's you know getting to be this hero with people that he hasn't been able to do this with in a very long time or ever. And then he goes through something else. I'm I'm specifically referring to the. The blue tendrily thing with the tentacles in the bottom of the planet. Not there yet. Not there no. yet. Um, yeah, but I'm telling for the viewer. I'm, I'm saying I'm not saying what happens there. Um, but that's traumatic, and mm -hmm. and I and, and I. That's why I like. That's why I think the blood is is necessary in in seeing just what Mark is having to deal with, and yeah. just how I do messed up he's gotten because of it there's little so, things as well that i think the show has done better than the comic i like that they've given black samson's powers back earlier i like that they've mm -hmm. given rudy his body earlier i like that they're they're doing a little most a little slower of a burn with like the romance between rudy and monster girl um i like that cecil isn't a creep right at that scene in the comics where he's like make sure you're taken care of in the comics he's like oh and if there's anything else you need you let me know and um Maybe if you give me something, if you do me a little favor, and it's it's very it's like laden with like sexual innuendo, and like if you have sex with me, I'll like make sure you're taken care of even more. And they do that in the comics, and it feels out of place in the comics. It feels slimy. They didn't do that in the in the in the show, and I was waiting for them to do it, and they didn't. And that sort of just proved to me how serious they are of like not mm. just faithfully adapting the comics, but of doing it better. And they're doing it better. Yeah, I mean, I've I've enjoyed every episode. I've also, but I liked in this show how like you're at least for me, I was kind of thinking that when he tells her that he's invincible, when he tells is her name Amber, Amber, yeah, yeah, that he's invincible, you're gonna get that traditional like, you know, oh, oh you know, like, yeah. like a superhero, and there and and the other person's gonna be like, oh, okay, no, I totally understand. We can be together, and she's just like, yeah, no, I know you're a superhero, but like, <laughs> you're still like acting like a complete. Yeah, you know, I like I loved that reveal. That it's was marvelous. And and yeah, also the fact that like what you expect, at least I expected that when Omni Man spoke about his wife, he'd still have feelings for her, much the way like you know, you would expect even if Superman was a bad guy, he'd probably still be in love with Lois Lane. But he's just like, she's more of like a pet to him. Like I was completely unexpected. I'm like, okay, wow. Was not expecting him to speak about his family this way. So there are those kind of little um, ways that expectations are subverted, which I like, but they're subverted in ways that still make sense within the world, which, which, which is why I'm still, um, I still find them interesting. It is an adaptation, most certainly. And it is not faithful, but it's better. It's doing, it's not making the same mistakes. It's not showing its hand and its times. Like there's, mm -hmm. I, re, I was, I reread, I read the whole, all 25 volumes in under two weeks. We talked about this. It yeah. is dated as fuck sometimes. Right. Oh yeah. Like how 
like the whole thing with um, William and his boyfriend and later husband, the fact that they're not they, like that moment in the comics where like, you know, he's invincible. That's when William and Adam Eve started dating in the comics. Right. Yeah. They're not having to hide the fact that their character or like that. He's the character is gay or like change it later on retroactively or what have you. Right. They're able to have him gay from the beginning. And then you can explore other things outside of that. You know, Adam Eve doesn't go crying into Mark's arms when she finds out Rex is cheating <laughs> yeah. on her. Right. Um, the, the, what was it in that? Or was later that when his on, mom walked in though? I think, I believe so. I believe so. In the comics, his mom walks in in that moment and thinks that, uh, that Eve is doing something else with her head in Invincible's lap and hilarity ensues. Yeah. Um, and like, I think like just overall there it's, it's doing, it's doing better. It's a good show. I'm I think I like the show more than I like the comics. I mean, it's sounding like that's probably how I would feel if and when I go back and read the comics. It's actually also a show that, like, if they had added, like, two episodes of just, like, filler of him just, like, fighting somebody else and just seeing his life, mm -hmm. I would have been okay with that, even though we talked about how much we don't no, like filler. Kind of a, that is kind of a flaw of the comics. The comics are all story. It's yeah. all, it's, it is a dense comic book. Like, mm -hmm. the entire, there are entire arcs in the show that ended in two that ended in two panels or two pages in the comic book oh so they've already padded yeah. things out and i guess that makes sense you said they padded they lengthened out the fight so there's a lot of things they padded out as well yeah like yeah they padded out it really well and i should say i should sort of like sort of retro like retcon what i said um it's not that the fight was too long it's that like it was too violent for me i think that like you could have had it start, end, and climax the exact same way. You could have, I think it would have been cool if you have him in the train and we don't see it from Invincible's perspective, right? But we know what's happening, yeah, right? That's, that, that's, uh, like I all his arms waving about like that, always hitting yeah. them. Like it felt so just holy shit. Like you're trying to really show us what Omni Man is capable of, how he feels. I understand all that, but. Then why you but you have this moment at the end like you know the the lies lost are incalculable based on what the like what the the news reporter is saying the TV news guy yeah. is saying at the end uh, you know I don't I don't think that the extent to which the show exhibited it was even greater than the comic and the comic is violent oh yeah I didn't find that all completely necessary. So I had a buddy of, of mine who, um, uh, my buddy Jordan, shout out to Jordan and the Geek Down. Uh, he said that Invincible was a boring series. He was not impressed by it. And I was thinking about why and why it resonated with me so much. And Robert Kirkman writes an amazing dual identity, uh, dual heritage character. Mark isn't just um, mixed Asian. He is mixed alien. And the thing that makes him special is the same thing that gives him so much trouble. He has these cultural obligations as a superhero almost. We don't get he doesn't we don't the show the movie the comic doesn't exactly explore race. Or no, it doesn't. Not at all. Not at all. And neither does but but I think this is why I, I like superpowers as an analogy for race the way the x-men did it and why i think kirkman's so good at it is because there are moments in this show 
where it was so surprising that it resonated with me when it reminded me of it reminded me of as corny and shitty as it sounds it reminded me of 9/11 when nolan is saying you are you have responsibilities you are better than everybody else you and part of him and undeniably part of mark is uh viltramite and i felt i don't know maybe i'm grasping at straws here but it felt like mark has this I, part of Mark's identity is something that makes him different and makes him special and makes him better in to himself. But at the same time, there's this ugly part of it. And he, his struggle with trying to find, um, trying to find the goodness in this other part of his, of his identity, that really caught me off guard. And it caught me off guard because I, felt that it was it was representing something that i had felt and i didn't realize it could be expressed this way so to me it was like oh my god mark is going through something similar to what i went through back in high school and it was that this part of you that sets you apart and and can give you strength can also be perceived as this very ugly very dangerous thing as well and trying to find your space in that trying to find to make that your own and trying to do good with it is mark's struggle and i felt that i had to process that and a lot of the same things when i was growing up so i really think that kirkman has a really good handle on how to create these characters who are different but seen as dangerous and I think that that is a very, very powerful ability that he, he is shown as a writer. And I, yeah, I get that not everybody's going to see that in Mark's journey, but to me, it really jumped out. And I think it was, I don't even know if it was intentional, but it, I really felt it was there. And I really thought, felt that it was a powerful think, uh, part of the narrative. I mean, I'll, I'll just say that I, I agree. There's something very powerful about these characters. Um, I mean, it, it's the it's the kind of world where it's like, I don't need to see a backstory of like, you know, you know, Viltrum, you know, as they were like struggling to become the people they are now and expanding their empire. It's not like that kind of thing where I need to know the backstory of everything, but these characters are just, you know, they, they, they resonate so strongly that, you know, I'm very, you know, I, I want to read the comic because I, I want to see how their story unfolds that badly. 